Amen. Would y'all y'all pray with me? Father, we have much, much to be grateful for this morning. God, we thank you for um, for new life joining us this morning. We thank you for um, the Spirit of God who through his divine agency and working has has called us out of the world to gather together in your presence in the name of your son Jesus enjoying all of the covenant benefits that he lived and died and rose and ascended to ensure that we would have those things and so we've gathered in his name into your presence and God we would hear you speak to us about the terms of the new covenant and about our our lives together with Christ and with one another. And so we ask you, Lord, to speak loud and clear by your word. I pray, Lord, that the opinions of man this morning to us would be lighter than air, but that your word, when it comes to us, would come weighty and authoritative, that we would tremble at it that we would trust it, that we would rejoice in it, and that we would receive it as the very words of our God. And so would you come, would you bless us as we think together over your word? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so let me just tell you what we're going to do this morning. We've been talking about worship and what happens when the body of Christ gathers together and... um, I might have one more Sunday. I might ask you to think with me on these things one more Sunday, or this might be the end of the line. I don't know. We'll see. But my goal for today um, is to ruin your day in some ways. But not to ruin your day because I don't like you or don't love you. But to ruin your day in the same way that like when a kid says, hey, can we go to Dairy Queen for an ice cream? And you say, no. Because we're leaving now to go to Disneyland. Like no to what you're asking because yes to something far greater. Follow that? What I want to do today is I want to talk to you about some of the unseen realm realities that happen when the body of Christ is gathered together. And you would say, well, how would that possibly ruin my day. And I'll tell you why I think it might ruin some of your day just for a little bit, and then we'll get to better things. Um, As I've been talking to brothers about these ideas, um, a lot of the pushback I've been receiving, a lot of uh, people who say, oh, no, that can't be true. And they they start to talk about verses from the New Testament that, um, that I believe are we tend to misunderstand and therefore can't enjoy and can't apply in a way that God's word gives us to, to apply. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three mistakes that we tend to make. And then we're going to work our way through some ideas and through some texts. And I'll show you where those mistakes have caused us to miss glories um, for, for years to come. So the first thing that Christians tend to do when we're making mistakes about these things is we take... Verses from the Bible 
that speak about our corporate gathering, about the body of Christ. When we gather together, we take those verses and we apply them instead of to the body, we apply them to ourselves, to our own individual. Um, this is a me, my quiet time verse. I'll just briefly, I'll give you an example of this, right? We talk about uh, in Ephesians 5, the, uh, the, a relationship between a husband and a wife is analogous to the relationship between Christ and his church. And so the, the church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, okay? That's a corporate reality. What we would not say is Ryan is the bride of Christ. And apply that to him as an individual. Why? Because it gets weird, right? Corporately, we are the bride of Christ. He initiates, we respond. He gives and provides. We receive, rejoice, beautify, and through his grace, multiply what he gives us as a, as a wife does to a husband. And so when we take a, a verse that the scriptures give us that's corporate and we apply it to individuals, we make a big mistake, okay? Second thing that we do, when we do that, when we take a corporate verse, apply it as individuals, what it causes us to do is we, we tend to miss the clear and overwhelmingly clear um, allusion to the Old Testament system and how Christ has perfected those things and made them ours. Changed some of them, radically some, but not different things, but same things. Those things that were loved in the Old Testament have become, uh, have become ours in Christ. So, um, so again, corporate verses we take as individuals and then we can't see their Old Testament glory. I was talking to a brother this week about how the Old Testament sacrificial system was analogous to and prepared us for New Testament worship. We're doing the same things in a different way. We don't sacrifice animals. Christ has been the sacrifice. But, but the temple worship prefigured what's going on. And he said, no, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's when you, when you gather. Because, he said, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, again, I might, this might ruin your day. But your body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is true that the Holy Spirit indwells the hearts and minds of believers. He, he saves us individually. He takes up his residence in us individually. But Simon Peter says, you are living stones in the building that God is making. So you have a very important part to play as an individual in the corporate picture. Every time, and you can, you can read 1 Corinthians 3, you can read 2 Corinthians 6. Every time the New Testament talks about the people of God being the temple of God, it has nothing to do with individuals. It has everything to do with us as a people. So when I say you are not the temple of God, I'm saying we are the temple of God. Okay. And so the way that that impacts the way we see worship is, and you see this as prevalent in our day because we take that an individualistic approach of that truth that we are the temple of God. We say, I am the temple of God. And he, and he said, rightly so. I walk around in the presence of God and of a holy God all day long. And that is correct. But here's what happens. You saw a lot of this in COVID. You saw a lot of um, 
really evil men in pulpits saying, hey, the Bible doesn't value the gathering of the body. And so we can cancel worship. We don't have to gather because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You walk around with God all the time. So gathering together is really not that important. And so I asked him in the Old Testament, I said, what is the what is the um, the Ark of the Covenant represent? Just ask you that. What does what did the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies in the temple, what did it represent? Well, it represented the manifest presence of a holy God who has come down to earth to dwell with his people. And so when you came into his presence, there were sacrifices, there was a system, there was mediators that went in on your behalf. But that was it was seen very clearly as, as his presence. Now, think about this with me for a moment. Do you really think that Old Testament saints didn't know about the omnipresence of God? That God is everywhere. Psalm 139 says, if I go to the uttermost reaches of the sea, behold, you're there. They knew God exists everywhere. He he is present everywhere. But they also knew that in the temple, in a specific and, and particular way, he is present in a way that he is not present in other places in the world. He has caused that to be so. So in the same way that you do... The Holy Spirit lives in you. You live in the presence of God. But there is something different about when the people of God gather together in his name. There's just something different about this place than you and your prayer closet. Okay, so so we tend to take corporate verses as individual verses. Therefore, we tend to miss the clear um, allusion to Old Testament uh, um, prefigurings and how, how we're, we're accomplishing those things. And then lastly, when we make those first two mistakes, we miss a cosmic um, battle that takes place every single time the people of God gather. We have gathered, whether you realize this or not, not for emotional support. We haven't gathered to be just encouraged. All of those things are true as well. But we have gathered to engage in the warfare that Christ has sent us to be a part of. Okay? So, um, let, let me, you don't, have to, you don't have to turn there, but listen to, the, to what Zechariah says about Old Testament worship. This is a picture of, they've, they've rebuilt the temple under um, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. And they have a high priest named Joshua. Now think about what, we're, uh, what you're going to read. He's, Joshua the high priest is coming into the temple. Okay, Just listen to this and, and think with me. Zechariah says, Then the Lord showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So the high priest is now, we're, we're, imagine this now, he's in the presence of, of the angel of the Lord, of, of Yahweh himself. And, interestingly enough, Satan is there. Standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Wait a second, what? The high priest is going into the the manifest presence of God, and Satan is there to accuse him. What's going on? And Yahweh said to Satan... Yahweh rebuke you, O Satan. What what is going on? The high priest is there. uh, The Lord is there. Satan is there. And Satan is rebuking, or the Lord is rebuking Satan who has come to accuse the high priest. to, To recount to God the sins of the high priest. 
It's a strange scene of battle. And the Lord says to Satan, the Lord, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord, God goes on, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this, and he points to Joshua, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, picture this image. Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Think about what happens when the high priest goes into the presence of God. Is he clothed in filthy garments? No, his garments are immaculately clean. There's a whole system of preparation, and yet he stands in the presence of God uh, filthy. What is this? It's an, it's an unseen picture of all of the weaknesses of the Old Testament system. Your mediator who goes into the presence of God to, to mediate for you, he stands soiled in the presence of God, and Satan has um, uh, accusation to make against him. Now in verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. Listen to this, New Testament Christian. I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. There's a heavenly realm that God says, I will give you the right of access. And so feel free to understand Paul saying, by faith, we have obtained access into this grace, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. We have uh, Hebrews, we have access, We've, we can go into the holiness, the holy of holies, to, to, to come into the presence of God to find grace in time of need. And he promises, I'll give you the right of access. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch, on, uh, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, the single stone with seven eyes. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. The whole, the whole picture of the Old Testament uh, temple worship is people were coming into the presence of God and sin was their biggest problem and Satan was there to accuse. Now, when you get to the New Testament, when you get to the, uh, to the book of Ephesians, I want you to listen to something that, uh, again, where we take a corporate verse and we apply it to our own individual selves. We're told in Ephesians 2 that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us, not you, singular, but us. Now, he saves on an individual level, but he's talking about the corporate body of Christ. He made the body of Christ alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. So this corporate reality, we've, we've been told those pre-shadowings of, of the high priest going into the temple, being near to God. Of, in the book of Zechariah. God's saying, I'm going to give you the right of access. You're going to have access to me. Now we've been told in Christ, who's been raised up, seated with, uh, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We've been raised up and seated with him. Now in verse three, in, in uh, chapter three, Paul expands on that. And he says to me, 
talking about himself, to, to Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is a plan that's been coming from before the dawn of time, Paul says, so that through the church, not through individual believers, but through the church, who have been raised up with Christ and seated with Him on His throne, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be shown to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What are we talking about here? That you're you're talking about realities where God has raised us up into heaven with Christ, united to Him, and He's doing that so that He can... Show his wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is what God has been doing in in raising us up, making us a kingdom of priests, giving us access to God. So he raises us up. He tells us he's doing that because there is there is some. There is an eternal, cosmic, unseen battle in the heavenly places. And then we come to Ephesians 6. And we take this verse all the time as as an applies to me only verse. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now listen, how many of you have been taught this is your quiet time routine? You get up in the morning, you get your coffee, you get your Bible. And you put on the armor of God. I, I put, like, oh, I'm putting on the belt. I'm putting on the, the, the breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. Taking up the sword of the spirit. This is a me and Jesus private prayer closet sort of a thing. Don't stop doing that. But please understand that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about when the church is gathered together. This is what you need to do. Because to gather together and to be uh, to be. To, to ascend with Christ into the heavenly places is to take part in this battle. He's going to say that explicitly. Listen, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and all of the yous are plural. Y'all, 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 gathered body. Y'all, put on the whole armor of God so that y'all may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against, listen to this, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So there are heavenly forces of evil that when we gather and when we are summoned by God, united to Christ as we are constituted as a church and we ascend into heaven as it were with him, Heaven has come down to earth. Earth has gone up to heaven. It's it's the fulfillment of all of the hopes of the temple. But we come together to get in this fight. Worship is warfare. Now listen. Do you see my... When we take corporate verses and we apply them to ourselves as an individual, we... It's really hard, which I've done with all of these texts basically all of my life until um, James Meyer told me different. It's like, hey, you're, you're missing something huge. Take this as a personal verse 
So I'm not thinking about the corporate body. I'm not thinking that all of these things are connected to what came before in the Old Testament, all of the types and shadows pointing forward to what was coming. And therefore, I miss the cosmic battle that, that worship is. And it's just about like we, we gather to sing some songs and hear the word preached and go about our merry way. And we lose sight of all of these things. Okay, so what I want to do with you is I want to think through two more texts where we do these three mistakes. We've made a corporate verse, a private verse. We've missed the Old Testament illusion and the, um, and the realization of um, how Christ has brought to completion these things from the Old Testament and how there's cosmic warfare being spoken about there. So if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I want to show you one of my favorite verses of all time that I've just missed so, so much in. And again, I'm not trying to ruin your day. You don't have to not see these verses as private, quiet time verses. Just understand that they're more than that. Okay, so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through one and 2, we'll read it again and then I'll make some comments here. He says, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, the mercies that he's been enumerating through Romans 1 through, uh, Romans 1 through 11. So by those mercies, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so all of my life, I took this as a quiet time verse. I go, I get my Bible, I get my coffee, and I present my bodies. He says, present your bodies, plural, each of your bodies, present them to the Lord. And so in my private prayer time, Lord, I'm your man. I'm a, I want to be a king's man. So whatever you want to do with me, I want to do with me. Just tell me what you want me to do. Okay. So all of these, uh, an, an individualistic sort of sort of spin. And listen, you should not stop doing that. Please understand. Don't stop presenting your bodies. But listen to me. This book the book of Romans was written to a gathered church to be read together. There is no, um, there's no break. You guys uh, who want to get on to me for preaching an hour last Sunday, I do apologize for that. Nobody got on to me, by the way. I'm just being silly. Um, just think about what it would be like to, to hear the entirety of the book of Romans read when the church gathered. It was a long, long sermon. He's talking to all of the church. And so when he says... I appeal to y'all, therefore, my brothers in Christ, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Okay, well, when you made it, when I made it, a, an individualistic verse, here's what I did with the second uh, part of it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so what I would say is, you know, you can't present your body when it's all sinful. It's covered up in sin. So you've got to repent and you've got to do these things and make sure that you're, that you're acceptable and you're pleasing to the Lord. That's not what he means. What he means is, I told you what God in Christ has done for all of you in Romans 1 through 11. He's given you access. He's cleansed you of your sin. He's constituted you as the new Israel, as the body of Christ. He's given you pardon and access. You're no longer in Adam. You're now in Christ. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's struggle. But there's also a completely new justified reality that we all experience together. So when he says, offer your bodies, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, he's borrowing straight from Old Testament realities. 
of sacrifices that the, the burnt offerings that were put on the altar, that were cut up and arranged, right? And all of these sacrifices and gifts that we give to God, those were dead, we're to do it living. Christ has pardoned us. He's made us a new people. And now we as the body of Christ are to gather together and say, not God, what do you want me to do? But all of us saying, God, what do you want us to do? You got my body. You got the wells. You got the karma. You got everybody. We all want to do this right here. Present our bodies, plural, as a plural sacrifice. Look at your text. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Is that what he says? No. As a living sacrifice. This is something we cannot do alone. We have to do it together. And I'll show you by context. He makes this clear as well. So the presentation of bodies that have been made holy and acceptable in Christ. And then he says something really strange. So living sacrifice, total Old Testament illusion, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says, which is your spiritual worship, which is a really wretched translation. Spiritual worship. It makes it sound like the like the the um, ethereal, mystical. It's spiritual. So we can close our eyes, distance ourselves from each other and sort of be mystics and those kind of things. That's not at all what Paul means when he uses these words. Okay, the first word that's rendered spiritual is logikos, which is logical. That's where we get our word for logic is your reasonable your logical, sir, this is what is fitting and good for you to do because he's purified you. Now present yourselves to him. Be a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves to God. So logic, logical worship. But then the second word is latreon, which is where we get our word for liturgy. It's one of the, one of the um, just clear um, translations is worship that was required in the Levitical law. So this Pharisee of Pharisees, this Hebrew of Hebrews, who his entire life was devoted to uh, synagogue and temple worship, he takes those terms to describe what we are doing right here today. It's your, it's your logical, your reasonable uh, service of worship. This is how you worship the Lord together. He says as well, Verse two, do not be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And again, from an individualistic perspective, like taking this as just a me verse and not a we verse, which you can still apply that way. You should definitely be in your quiet time trying to have your mind transformed or being transformed by the renewal of your mind. He's not talking about a private prayer time. He's talking about right now, right here. When we're gathered, we gather to have our minds to we gather to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so I would just remind you, you know, our our um, the way that we have our system of worship, the way that we engage in worship has changed over the years. And it's one of those things where, like, we were seeing those things and saying, okay, we need to incorporate some of these movements in our worship service. I'll confess to you, not even realizing all of the benefits that would come. And it was like maybe two or three months ago that I realized on sheer volume alone, 
the amount of Bible that you get read to you on a Sunday morning is so much more than it was before. You have an elder that comes and almost every Sunday summons you to worship with a psalm. We are singing the psalms together, the psalms of ascents that bring us, that, that prepare us and help us to understand what's going on. We're coming into the presence of God. You hear scripture, you hear blessing, you hear benediction, you hear law, you hear gospel, you hear assurance of pardon, all based upon the word of God. And the sermon is just a part of that. Right? You remember there was a time where the only real scripture we would read together was just my sermon text. But now you just get washed by the word every Sunday. And it, and I, it dawned on me, I'm like, man, we read so much Bible, so much more Bible than we ever did. Because we as a church are presenting our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice And we don't want to be conformed to this world. We're not asking, what would make the world happy here? We're asking, God, what do you want from us? We want to hear, we want to believe, we want to obey. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. So, renewing y'all's mind. Now, in case you're wondering, man, I just don't see the corporate aspect of that. The problem is, if you're in the ESV, you have to turn the page. And so sometimes when we turn a page, we think it's a whole new thing, a whole new topic. Turn the page. The next word he says is for. He's continuing the argument. This is what y'all should do when you're gathered because by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, there are many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are the one body of Christ. I'm dependent upon you. You're dependent upon me. The hand is dependent upon the mouth and the mouth is dependent upon the eyes. And nobody's trying to be somebody else. We're all trying to be what God has made us individually, but we're trying to be that corporately. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us all use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy. Do that with cheerfulness. Okay? So all of this, again, the first mistake I said, I, I told you at the start, is we tend to make corporate verses about individuals. And so what we do when we do that is we'll miss the Old Testament fulfillment of these things. And so we see ourselves as distinct or very, very different from what came before. And then lastly, we, we miss out on the spiritual battle aspect of these things. And you would say, well, where is the, where is the spiritual battle? Where's the spiritual battle here of us gathering together, being brought into the manifest presence of God together, presenting our entire, all of our individual bodies as one member to Christ saying, what do you, we're yours, command us. How is that a spiritual battle? Well, listen, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, you need to pray this way. Father in heaven, make your name hallowed. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. 
So think about what's going on here. We gather together. We're brought into the heavenly realities in Christ. And we present our bodies. God, we want to know your will. We want to do your will. That's his, that's his meaning in Romans 12. That, we, that you may discern uh, what is the will of God. What's good and acceptable and perfect. God, reveal your will. Renew, transform us by the renewal of our minds. So that we can obey you. Now heaven becomes earth. Obedience that was taking place here, we're obeying God together. We're stirring up one another to obedience. And then what happens when we leave? We continue that struggle. And that is how the kingdom of Christ is brought to bear upon the world. So there's, take it out of an individual context, put it in the corporate context, and you can see the continuity between the Old and New Testament. Certainly different. No animals have died. Christ is all we need. But it's distinct, but it's also same, same presence of God, same idea of heaven and earth and cosmic struggle and his will being done on earth. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. It's the, it's the, um, the sermon of two chapter 12 today. And I'm, I'm done after, uh, after Hebrews 12. But it's glorious. This text, it's the same thing, again, that we tend to see it in, in just in individualistic terms and, um, and, and we lose sight of the connectedness to the Old Testament and, and, uh, and to the cosmic struggle that we have with the unseen realm. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, the author of Hebrews says, for you, meaning y'all, y'all have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice who's made, uh, whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Exodus generation when they came to Mount Sinai. And you've got, you, you came to a mountain that was blazing on fire. There were thunders, there were lightnings, there was darkness, there was gloom, there was tempest, there was cloud, there was the um, uh, ever ratcheting up sound of a trumpet, and God came down to Sinai to meet with his people. And they were terrified. And they told Moses, we can't listen to his word anymore. If we listen to it, we're going to die. So you go and listen. In verse 20, they couldn't even, they couldn't endure the order that was given If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Now, indeed, so terrifying was the sight of Moses, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Moses, the man of God, the friend of God who spoke face to face. I'll stop reading. Don't read ahead. He just said to you Christians, to us Christians, gather together again. Hebrews was written to a gathered body of believers. And he says, you haven't come to something that can be touched. And he describes Mount Sinai, a, a mountain of trumpet and fire and, and scary, loud voice of God. And, and it's terrifying. Even Moses said, I, it's ter- I'm terrified. How do you expect him to complete this sentence? You haven't come to that. You've come to gentle shepherd, meek and mild. You've come to Jesus, the, the, the gentle author of our soul who, who holds us in nail-scarred hands. All of that is true. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is forgiving. But that's not what he says. This, uh, this week I was at a Bible study and this guy uh, is, is trying to win his daughter uh, to the Lord. And I understand what he was saying, but I still had to pick a fight with him. Because he's like, I, so I, I bought her a Bible. 
And I just decided I'm just going to buy her a New Testament because she reads the Old Testament. She reads about wrath and fire and all those things. Like she's just going to And I'm like, hey, the New Testament says that those who do not obey the gospel would be tortured. Well, the, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and forever. The New Testament is full of just as much wrath as the Old Testament. We do not worship a different God. It's the same God. And there is unbelievable mercy and grace. And all God's people said, amen. There is mercy we can't fathom in the New Testament by the blood of Christ offered to anybody who wants it, anybody who will repent of their sin and trust in Christ, you're in. And it's full mercy, free that you cannot lose ever. But there's also wrath. And there's also the holiness of God. And so... God has not changed. And in this text, he's talking to the New Testament church and he says, don't think you've come to Sinai. What have you come to? So let me just ask you, as we've gathered today, what have we gathered to? If you have a pen, get it out. And I want you to circle all of the twos. You have come to this and to that. And we'll just read them together. And you need to understand This is what we have gathered to this morning and every Sunday that we gather as the church. Moses, indeed, was so terrified by the sight. He said, I tremble with fear. But you, believers, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. They came up to the mountain. Brother, sister, you're in the house of the living God. Into his presence. The city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. We're not here, strictly speaking. We've been brought by Christ, our great high priest, into the veil. Into the heavenly city. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to, another to, so to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Two, innumerable angels in festal gathering. What in the cotton pick does that mean? Have you ever considered that when we gather, we gather to a myriad of angelic beings in festal gathering? It's just not what we think about. It's not what we think about. He says, this is what you've gathered to. You think about this, right? Every single time in the, in the Bible when an angel comes to a person, what's the first thing they say? Don't be afraid. Why? It's probably not just because they can't think of anything else to say. It's probably because they see fear written on our face when fleshly beings step into the presence of that which is heavenly. Brothers and sisters, we've gathered not to the angel Gabriel, but to the myriad, the innumerable angels in festal gathering. And two, circle two in verse 23. And two, um, if you can write in your Bibles and scratch out things, assembly is fine. It just doesn't carry what's actually going on. The word is ecclesia. It's where we get our word for church. Those who have been called out of the world to belong to God. He says, you have been, uh, you have come to the ecclesia, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Your name is there. 
And so is the name of every believer that's ever lived. And we gather to that throng. It's amazing. And to God, the judge of all. Wait a second. God, the, the Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, God who is judge. We've gathered to the judge. So it's fitting that we would look at that judge's standard and say, is there mercy for me? And to hear him say, yes, there's mercy for you. I provided my son. You're, you're forgiven. But don't come in here thinking that you don't need to deal with your sin. I, he's dealt with it. We've come to God, the judge of all. And listen to this. Weep with joy. To the spirits of the righteous made telos. Made Perfect. They've been brought to the end for which they have made. Notice it doesn't say just the righteous. It says the spirits of the righteous. Those, every soul in Christ who's died and we've put their body in the ground, their soul has gone to be with the Lord and they've been made perfect. And they stand before the presence of our God night and day and they say what kind of things? Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Go, go read Revelation um, 5 uh, where, where John gets called up into heaven and he sees the, the heavenly worship that's going on right now. And he gets to join in. That's what we have been gathered to. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, a great high priest who had no sin for himself to atone. And so he, when he made perfect sacrifice for sin, he can enter into the heavenly, uh, the, the, the real tabernacle from which the author of Hebrews has already told us the Old Testament tabernacle was made as a pattern after the real heavenly one. It wasn't the other way around that the Old Testament was made first and then he's going to make it heavenly. No, Moses was shown the pattern and said, build it this way. The earthly tabernacle had no seat because no priest ever finished the work and he could never sit down. He had to come and he had to go. But in the greater tabernacle, the real one in the heavenlies, there is a chair. There is a throne. And Christ sat down upon it because His work is finished. And so we've come to that mediator. That one man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who can, as God, lay a hand on His Father, and as man, lay a hand on His brothers and sisters, and say, I'm bringing you together. And I've made the way. We've come to Christ, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood. Again, the whole, the whole thing is, are, are, do we have any allusion to the Old Testament here, to the Old Testament sacrificial system where every single time that people would come in, they would make sacrifices and Aaron's dipping his finger and sprinkling you with blood and he's sprinkling the law with blood and it's all sprinkled to, to, for the forgiveness. He says, we've come to the sprinkled blood of Christ, that we've been covered by the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant. And he says, this is blood, watch this, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What a weird way to end that text. You, have, you want to take a stab at what he's after there? This puzzled me. What, like, 
angels and, and saints departed and God and Christ and then the blood of Abel. Like, what are you talking about? Well, he's on the same point. The blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel for two reasons. What did the blood of Abel say back in Genesis when Cain had killed Abel? And God said, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. Condemnation. You are a murderer. You spilled that blood. And so the blood of Abel condemned. The blood of Christ justifies. Speaks a better word. God, my blood. He's saying to the Father, my blood speaks pardon. Yes, they've sinned. But my blood was shed for them. It's pardon. Do you know how else it's a better word? If you know your Bible, you can answer me this question. From where did the blood of Abel call out to God? Huh? From the ground. From the dust. From Adam. From Adam. From, from the land. God, is, God says to, to Cain, The blood of your brother is crying out to me from the ground. Where does the blood of Christ cry out to the Father? From where? Is it from the ground? No, it is not. It is from the right hand of the majesty on high. He's in the new and the heavenly temple. And he cries out from heaven about the earth. My blood was shed. They are pardoned. Receive them. And Christ is listened to. It's amazing. Listen to me. When we gather as the church, we gather into the heavenly realms, into the manifest presence of a holy and a loving God. We stroll into a reality that makes Sinai look like child's play. You read the Old Testament and you think, man, I'm so glad I didn't come to something so uncomfortable and so scary as Sinai. You say, yeah, yours is way worse. You've come into the heavenly realities of a holy God. Way worse and way better. It's way more terrifying, but it's way more glorious because Christ has made a way and he's given you access. And so you can come in and not die. God be praised. We can all come in together. Okay, so so what? Three things. Three things. First of all, don't stop applying these kind of verses to, your, to yourself individually, quiet time. I'm the temple. The Holy Spirit has, has indwelled me. But keep doing those things. Keep praying the, the armor of God over you in your, in your prayer closet and all those things. Don't stop. It's appropriate for you to do that. But just understand that you need to add the thrust of the text. The text is not aiming at that. It's aiming at what we're doing today. And every Sunday, when an elder says, come, let us worship the Father, we've been called out of the world to gather into the, to the presence of God in the name of Christ. So add these verses and these types of things to, to the way you view the gathered body so that our gathering can be what God says it is. It's not just something we do on Sundays because we don't know what else to do. We've always done it this way. No, God has summoned you to come into his presence Sunday after Sunday. So do that. Add it. Don't don't stop. Secondly, stop seeing the Old Testament as enemy, as false, as bad, as damning. We sometimes, because we're gospel people, and because we've been set free from the law, we're we're dead to the law. It's no longer a master, right? Amen. Like we're, we're not under, we're not under the law in the same way that the Old Testament saints were. They were put under as slaves. And I believe someday I'm going to give you my interpretation of Exodus 19 of what God, why God did that. But we're not put on, we're not, we're not under the same, uh, under the same things. But 
Don't pretend like the law was a bad idea, like, like the sacrificial system was somehow wrong and bad and, and we don't want to have anything to do with that. No, all of those things were built. They were shadows of heavenly realities that God showed Moses. Those heavenly realities, all of which are saturated with Christ. The Old Testament system, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the law, the, the, the festival gatherings, all of those things prepare us. For Christ, the law, the Old Testament is not enemy, it's not false, it's not bad, it's not damning. See it rather as tutor, as teacher that brings us to Christ. See it rather as um, righteousness to those who use it rightly so that we can come to know who we are in Christ. See it rather as root to our branch, its foundation. It's, it's what everything that Christ did was, was built upon. He was the fulfillment of all of those shadows. See it as shadow to substance. When we gather here, we're not trying to, to fall back into an Old Testament, Old Testament ritualistic system. What we're trying to do is see the completion of all of those things in Christ and enjoy the things that he came to do for us. Thirdly and lastly, understand that when we gather to our God and worship... In the name of Christ, we are at our most potent and spiritually powerful state because we are gathered in obedience to him. This, brothers and sisters, is how the Lord answers the prayer, the Lord's prayer. This is how his name is hallowed. This is how his kingdom comes. This is how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Every Sunday, we're gathered to heaven to know his will, to be formed and shaped by his will, to believe it. And then we're we're commissioned by God and sent back into the world to obey it. This is how the nations are one to Christ. It's the most important thing we do is gather for worship. It's the most powerful thing we do. So let me pray for us and celebrate communion. Father. We, um, yeah, we just need the lens of your word, uh, unadulterated, un- unshaped by um, our own tendency to see things uh, as though they just apply to us and then to miss the, the very thrust and beauty and glory of them. God, we want to see your word as it stands in Scripture to know it as, uh, as it reveals the truth to us about who Christ is and, and what he has done in this world through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to win a people to himself. And that when we gather, we gather to these things so that we can come back into the world sent by you to disciple the nations. Lord, I'm reminded, Lord Jesus, that you said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We have been united to you by faith. We have fellowship with the Father. We have, um, we have power in the Holy Spirit who indwells us as a body. And now you send us into the world to do something to the world in the name of Christ. We have a job here. And it's a job that we cannot do unless... Sunday after Sunday, again and again and again, we gather together as the body of Christ 
to ascend into the heavenly realities, to receive everything that we have been given in Christ, and then to go out again refreshed and renewed to disciple the nations. Would you help us, Lord, to walk faithfully and to walk humbly and to walk glad in these things? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.